Welcome to the Providence Church Podcast. In this episode, Pastor Dwight will dissect David's sin and its consequences in addition to the timeliness of God's mercy. For more Prov Church, visit us online at provchurch.net. That's P-R-O-V-Church.net. Let's get started. Well, when we last left our hero last week, he wasn't much of a hero. Chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. I know some of you watch the old television shows. When we last left our hero, and then it would pick up the next episode. So here we are. Last week wasn't pretty. The, as you, if you were here, you know the story in chapter 11 that David took Bathsheba, that he committed adultery with her. Uh, She became pregnant. And so he tries to con Uriah her husband, into sleeping with her, brings him home from the front, tries to get him to go to his house. He won't. He's too honorable. He won't go down to his house while the men are fighting. He, he eventually arranges to have Uriah killed with a setup on the battlefield. Tells Joab, hey, send the troops forward, put Joab to the front, then pull back, and then the archers have their way, and the inevitable happens, and Uriah is killed. After he receives news from Joab that Uriah is dead, And his cover-up has succeeded. And after Bathsheba mourns for her husband, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife, and she bore him a son. And David, at this point, has broken at least half of the Ten Commandments. In one episode, guilty of adultery, murder, lying, coveting, He, in effect, steals her. He also, of course, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. He has put himself in the place of God. He has forgotten who God is and pretended he was was God in that situation. And so in one sad episode, his life will never be the same. Now, as we come to 2 Samuel 12 this morning... Most biblical commentators believe that at least a year has gone by from chapter 11 to chapter 12. The child has been born. Don't know exactly how old the child is, but the assumption is it's been at least a year, maybe a little more that has gone by. And still David is trying to live with the secret under wraps. So if he's walking in the street, people in the street around Jerusalem may be saying, isn't, da- isn't David an honorable man? Wasn't it so noble of him to take in the widow of Uriah and provide for her and her child after the untimely death of her husband? What a guy. What a guy. Hmm. But everything is about to be unwrapped. The secret is about to be exposed. And David will come face to face with his sin. And in the process, he will experience God's mercy in a way that is, and this is mercy, completely undeserved. If you have your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 12 is where we are at this morning as we continue learning Lessons from David and his life. And so chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, 
Nathan said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It was the family pet. (laughs) It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. The customary hospitality was required, and so he needs he needs a meal. He's got a lot of sheep, but hey, my neighbor, I'm going to take his. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Look at David's response in verse 5. David burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. But before that, he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. You might as well have plunged in the sword yourself. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. That will be Absalom, David's very own son. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son son born to you will die. And after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. I want to make a statement right out of the gate this morning. And on your outline, I've had several places. There's a truth listed there for you. The first one and it's this. Time cannot cleanse your conscience. Time won't do it. There will never be enough time that goes by in our lives to cleanse us of our guilt. Never. Time might cause your memory to get a little fuzzy. It usually does. Time might soften the edges of your emotions, and that happens. Time might lead to your heart building up a callus where you care a little bit less where your 
heart gets tougher and thicker, but it will never cleanse you. Time will never do that. will never free you, will never release you, will never take away your sin or your guilt. In fact, there are many who believe that the year plus that went by from chapter 11 to chapter 12, that that year for David was, quote, a living hell as he's living with this secret. Psalm chapter 32, David writes these words and not sure, it doesn't give a time stamp of when he wrote these words, but in his recollection and reflection on his life, this is what he says, verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, when I failed to come clean, when I held on to my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. It was heavy. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Those of you farmers, those of you construction guys, those of you who work outside all summer, you put in a full day out there, you come home, you are done. Your strength is gone. You've been sweating, pouring out, and you just can't hardly think about moving. This is David. When I'm sitting on in my sin, when I'm holding on to those secret things, this is what happened. This is what, how my body felt, my experience. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I was reading earlier this week, there's two diverse sources that agree on the power of confession. The first source is ancient Christian truth. And the other source is modern psychology. They agree on at least one thing. Keeping dark secrets can destroy us. And confessing them can set us free. The 5th century Christian spiritual leader, a guy named John Cassian, one of the monastic orders. He, he claimed that as soon as a wicked thought has been revealed to God and at least one other Christian, it loses its power. The demonic stronghold of sin is drawn out, as it were, into the light from its dark and deep cave by the power of the confession. For Satan's harmful counsels hold sway in us as they lie concealed in our hearts. And nearly 1,500 years later, a contemporary textbook on psychology reached a similar conclusion. The book was called Coping with Stress. And it claims that people who tend to keep secrets have more physical and mental complaints on average than people who do not, including greater anxiety, depression, and bodily symptoms such as back pain and headaches. Not like every back pain, every headache is a result of this, but when you're holding on to things, it affects you. Like Cassie in this book also argues that finding healthy places to share our secrets leads to freedom. The initial embarrassment of confessing is frequently outweighed by the relief that comes with verbalizing the darker, secretive aspects of our hearts. True. Here's the thing. Part of David's God's mercy to David was God basically saying the cover-up will not stand. 
David, it can't. He won't let him stay in his sin out of his love for him. God is working out his covenant plan through David, and he can't live the lie. David, I've got my purposes run through you all the way to Christ. And in fact, it happens. God does it. It's, 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 it's his marvelous, mysterious, scandalous grace. And here's, my, here's, here's a man after my own heart, flawed man, great man, awesome king, lustful heart, murderous. I mean, it's all in, the mixture is all over. But this is, my, this is my plan. And through David comes the line of the Savior. Wow. So God's not going to let him stay there. David will be restored. It will be hard. It will be painful. But until he is brought low, he cannot rise. And that's the truth for all of us. There are times in our lives when we're dealing with things that God wants to bring us down in order that we might rise to the places that he has for us. So in his mercy, God sends. Remember last week we were talking in chapter 11 how I think 11 times that verb sent, send, sends was in that text. And it's usually David. Hey, David's sending, David's sending, David's sending, David. He's in control. He's in charge. He has it all covered, all figured out. David sends, David sends, David sends. And then chapter 12, God sends. The one who is in true, who's truly on the throne, who is in charge. The Lord sent Nathan, God's servant, if you will, his prophet. And he was called to speak the word of the Lord. And he is sent with a sharp word, a hard word, a necessary word. He is sent to rebuke the king. And you don't go on the everyday and have an audience with the king and offer a strong rebuke. That's not how it works. But God is responsible for this sending, and God is responsible for what we call the hammer blow. Nathan, tell the truth. God will take care of David's heart. Hmm. And it's vital for us to see this, that God's word, Scripture even, is prophetic in its nature. A timely word in due season. It's a prophetic word. It's timely. It's for the now. It's what God wants us to hear. It's what we need. It might be hard. It might be difficult, but it cuts to the core of who we are and our need for God and to help us see who we are. There's a prophecy, a prophetic nature about the word of God. Hmm. Speaks to our hearts and lives. And it's what we need. What happens in our lives if we allow sin to start to take ground in our hearts is we allow calluses, I said this earlier, calluses to form on our consciences. And they get hard. And they become seared. In Paul's words in the New Testament language, your conscience gets seared. You don't want your conscience to be like a piece of meat that's put in the pan, flash fried, and then it's tough. You, know, you like that for meat, keep the juices in, but you don't like that when you're trying to hear, receive God's word. I don't want to have a hard heart, a seared conscience. Alistair Begg said, when conscience sleeps, we can read the Bible, we can listen to the Bible, we can understand the Bible, 
and still remain entirely unchanged by the Bible. So God comes along in the power of the Holy Spirit and he wakes us up. He does that for David. Nathan is very wise. He knows that David was a shepherd and he knew that David would have learned and had compassion as a shepherd boy. He would have learned to have compassion on sheep. And so he brings a story about sheep, about two men that have sheep. Nathan tells a story about a rich farmer and a poor one. And the rich farmer had many sheep and many cattle. Very large number, the Bible says. But the poor man had one little lamb, and it was like family to him. You know, you guys have your family pets, right? I know you do. And so, you, you know, you, here's a, here, eat this, eat this, you know, drink this. And you're always spoiling your pets, right? You just love, you love having my pets around, right? So you get that. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup. And slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. And when the traveler came and the need for hospitality came, the rich man, instead of using his own sheep for the meal, took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the traveler. Stole from him. Killed the thing that he loved. And you see David's response there in verse 5. Which is that? Is that verse five? Yeah. His anger burned hot. Remember the story of Nabal and the fool a couple weeks ago and how David, when he found out that this guy had rejected and spurned his offer, he, let's go. We're going to go. Well, game on. Arm up, God. Put your swords on. We're going to take this guy down and his family. All his male heirs are gone. David had a hot trigger. And he says, that man deserves to die. This will not happen in my kingdom, not on my watch. But before he is killed, make sure he takes care of making restitution first. And so the Old Testament law was to pay back four times what was taken. If you took something and was found out, then you pay four times back, four times over. The truth is this, the second truth on your outline. We are often blind to our sin while being all worked up about the sins of others. It's hard for us to see ourselves and our own sin clearly. You know, Matt Woodley shared about this. He said, the problem or peril of our journey is that our sin hardens our hearts and we become masters of self-deception. Look what happened to David. His life slid into massive sin, lust, adultery, murder, cruelty, and he didn't even see it. The only time David really cared about sin was when Nathan told him about someone else's sin. And then David erupted with rage. He could see the sin in others, but he built massive blind spots to his own sin. He became an expert at self-righteousness and self-deception. We all do. We look at our spouse, look at our children, our parents, our brothers, our sisters, our friends, our church community, our leaders, and we're outraged at their sins. Simultaneously, we excuse and defend our own. Hmm. But then perhaps the most memorable, memorable statement of the entire chapter, when Nathan, after the story is told, and David is hot and angry, and Nathan says to him, David, you are the man. 
You are the man. The one in the story who wronged his neighbor, that's you. The one whom you are so angry with, that's you. The one who you think deserves to die, that's you, David. And David, do you remember what I have done? God says, do you remember what I have done for you? And so Nathan recounts, Nathan reminds him of God's provision all along the way. I anointed you king, David. Do you remember that? I, I, I set you apart to be king. I delivered you. When, you, when you. when your life was at stake, when you were on the run from Saul, all those years on the run, hiding in caves, hiding in the desert, terrified for your life, I rescued you. I protected you. I delivered you time and time and time again. I gave you, David, I gave you everything. I gave you your master's house. I gave you his wives. I gave you the kingdom, Israel and Judah. It's all yours. You're the king over it all. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Wow. God was saying, David, I have purpose to bless you. My heart was to bless you. And now this is what, how you have responded. You've taken it by your own hand. And the indictment, which is the essence of David's sin, you have despise the word of the Lord. Why? Why have you despised? The searing question for David, the searing question for us. Why did I say that? Why did I treat him that way? Why did I treat her that way? Why didn't, why did I do that? Why didn't I do that? I mean, question, why, why, why? The reality is Nathan's message you are the man is also true of us. We choose our own way over God's word. And when we choose our own way over God's word, we in essence say, forget it. I dis we despise God's word. Well, you might say, I'm not a murderer. I didn't steal my neighbor's wife. What did Jesus say? Every one of you who is angry with his brother is guilty of murder. Every one of you who looks on a woman with lustful intent is guilty of adultery. And Jesus continually presses into our hearts to expose our hearts and what's in our hearts. That's what Nathan did to David. That's what the Holy Spirit, his ministry is to show us who we are and we are that man or we are that woman. When I read the Bible, when I read Scripture, God, speak to me. Help me to see myself in these pages. And he does by his spirit. And so he points right there, that phrase, you are, the, you are that man. You are that woman. I'm guilty. David had dressed himself in all these layers of sin and shame and was living in the palace pretending to be right with God. And then when Nathan comes, David is uncovered by God's word. The word of God comes with the spirit of God and the power of God to convict us of sin and righteousness. John 16, verse 8. Jesus himself spoke those words to his disciples. This is why the Holy Spirit has come, to convict you of these things. Can you imagine being David as Nathan stands there and reveals all these 
treacherous things that David had done in secret. How in the world could he know all this? How does this guy know all this? I mean, maybe his mouth was a little bit open. Maybe his eyes were like big as saucers. Like, what in the... And the truth is that all things are naked and open before the one to whom we must give an account. Secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. And then Nathan goes on to announce the consequences. We talked about some of these last week. First of all, the sword will never depart from your house, David. In fact, uh, David will have three sons murdered. Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah. And Amnon will rape his his half-sister Tamar in chapter 13. And Absalom will kill him in revenge. Absalom will revolt, and he will send David running. He will will ascend to the throne in rebellion, and David will run again. And, and, And Absalom eventually will meet his end, hanging from a tree, his hair, a long hair stuck in tree limbs. And Joab, the army, the general, will come along and pierce him in his heart three times with spears run him through. And Solomon, who will take the throne eventually, will kill his brother Adonijah. Mm. God also says about calamity to your house, I'm going to give your wives to someone close to you. Absalom will, in this rebellion time, lay with David's wives on the roof in the sight of all of Israel. And then thirdly, of course, the child born to you will die. Mm. Heavy. David's response in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. It is me. I am that man. And he agrees with God about the verdict. Confession is agreeing with God about our sin and who we are before him. He owns his sin and his wrongdoing. And so the truth there, the final truth there, is that the way through is confession. And I was, of course, repentance is the part of that story. But in this story, he confesses. Psalm 51, I want to read just a couple of verses there from the 51st, because this is a a psalm that many of you are familiar with. And it, the subheading, of course, in, is it, it says a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So sometime uh, between you know, Nathan's appearance, it got, it got David praying and confessing, and he's, he's writing this as, a, as a, a prayer to God. And he says, Have mercy on me, O God, verse 1, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Everywhere I go, my sin is before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. Not that he didn't sin against Uriah and Bathsheba and the others, but he's saying to God, it starts with you. I despised your word. I went against you first. And so he declares that. And I've done what is evil in your sight. 
so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Mm. As hard as it is, confession does something powerful. It opens the gate to what we long for, which we long for to be right with the living God, to be forgiven by the living God, to be cleansed by the living God, to be restored by the living God. That's what confession opens up that gate. John says it so well, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Gospel 101. Nathan says, the Lord has put away your sin, has taken away your sin, David, in his mercy. This is the great work of the cross. It, all my sins were nailed there with him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. All those things that were against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross, the work of God's grace. And that's why we're able to use the word. When we talk about God's grace, there is something scandalous about it. I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot this week. This story in chapter 11, chapter 12, it's a scandal. By any measure, it's, it's, it's scandal all over. And here's the pronouncement. But David, as you confess your sin, God is putting away your sin. He's taking it away. Mercy, you don't deserve it. You don't qualify for it. You didn't do anything to get, but God has chosen to love you and to forgive you and to release you. You won't, there'll be consequences, but you will live. And in fact, he lives and he stays on the throne 20 more years about and he finishes his reign in peace and he passes on the mantle to his son Solomon and the kingdom continues. Amazing story. All God's grace. The scandal of the cross. And can it be that I should gain? Mm. So undeserved. All of us. All of us. I love that the, the story. It's a hard story. Man, it's hard. Whew. Two weeks of, you know, wow, grinding through some tough stuff. But the, the, the message of, of God's mercy and God's grace is the, 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 the defining moment of the story. But your sin has been put away, David. Hallelujah. You will live, David. There'll be pain, yes. There'll be trials, yes. Trouble, but you are going to remain on the throne by God's awesome, sovereign grace and his mercy. Even though you don't deserve it, God is choosing. Wow. I'm so thankful. 
That's the hope. Like, there's, the, there's that, that, that's the underlying, it comes to that place of, Lord, help us to see ourselves. Lord, help me to see myself. Thank you for listening to this latest sermon. For more Prof Church, check out our YouTube at Prof Church Lancaster. Follow us on Facebook at Prof Church Life, on Instagram at Prof Church, or visit our website, profchurch.net. Thank you for listening, and be sure to make it a great day. Thank you.